Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. <sighs> Take a breath. Exhale. Feels good, doesn't it? Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, it's official now. I felt this weekend like a giant weight had come off my shoulders that I didn't even know was there for five years since the campaign started. I have been carrying this heavy, heavy weight and suddenly it just vanished. Really, it started like Friday morning when it looked like things were going to be favorable. And then obviously by Saturday, yeah, it just turned to jubilation and sheer excitement. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, I think you know my political leanings. I think you know sort of where I stand on the issues. And I think if you've listened to some of my guests, you know how dangerously close we got to the point of no return here in so many ways. I mean, fascism, authoritarianism, but also, frankly, on climate change and the environment. I worried that with another four more years of Donald Trump, my kids might not have a future. And I say that without any sense of hyperbole. That was truly sort of where I was at. And this pandemic definitely made me feel that even more acutely, just thinking, what is this future that we're planning for? The pandemic might get us. If that doesn't, we've got global warming to deal with, and we're clearly not dealing with that. And, you know, the country's going to continue to burn and get hammered by hurricanes. And what's left for my kids? And it is just such a relief and such a good feeling to feel like we are moving forward. I hope you all feel that way. I talked about this in my newsletter over the weekend. And if you haven't signed up yet, the newsletter, it's a new feature that I offer where I share some more of my thoughts and uh, also recap the past week's episodes. So if you didn't get a chance to hear them on the podcast, you can read about them in your inbox every Sunday. Go to heathrasella.com. And uh, there's a sign-up link right on the homepage, or you can click on newsletter to read any of the past issues. But I said in this past week's newsletter, my wife is South Asian. And so obviously our daughter has part South Asian in her. And the idea that she can now look up and see a role model in Kamala Harris in a very concrete way, someone that is her gender, someone that's her race, somebody that she can aspire to be in a very real way. That is so meaningful for me. And it's high time that that happened in this country. I am so happy for Kamala, for Joe, for all of us. This is a win for America. So for those of you who went out and did your part and voted and all that, thank you. We needed that. This week on the show... I have got two really fun interviews, starting today with Joshua Turchin. Joshua just turned 14, and he is one of the most talented people maybe that I've talked to in the course of this show. And I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but not really. I mean, he is so, so talented at such a young age. He is an actor. He is a dancer. He is a musician. He is a composer. He's a talk show host. He does so much, 
And you're going to hear today, he is just an inspiration. I think he is somebody that made me want to try harder and work harder and realize that there is no easy path and we've got to just forge our own trail in this life. And Joshua was doing that. He wrote his own musical, The Perfect Fit. It actually debuted at the Rave Theater Festival last year. So it played before an audience and uh, people got to see it. It was on track to be a Broadway show when coronavirus hit. And so Joshua recorded an album for The Perfect Fit completely remotely. And now, even more impressive, with theaters still shut down across New York, Joshua decided, we don't need an audience. We're going to just live stream the show and make it available for people to watch. So they are going to be doing an online concert of The Perfect Fit musical uh, this coming Sunday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are available at perfectfitmusical.com, perfectfitmusical.com. Go check that out. Go support Joshua. He's uh, he's just really incredible. He also has this show that he's been hosting since coronavirus started called The Early Night Show. It's on his YouTube channel, and it is fun. It is musical. It's a way to bring back some of the elements of live theater from home. I asked him about it. I think he's done like 70 of these shows since the quarantine started. And he both interviews guests from Broadway, and then they sing a song together. Check that out, The Early Night Show. And he's also done a lot of stage work. He was on the touring company for A Christmas Story. He performed as Flounder at Little Mermaid live at the Hollywood Bowl and got a chance to meet Alan Menken at that, which we'll talk about. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know that I am a Disney fan. I've talked to a couple of Imagineers on the show. I talked to Ginger Z about her love of Disney, talked to John Tartaglia about it. Well, I got to talk to Joshua about it, too. And it's funny because I didn't even have to bring it up. He went there and just started talking about how much he loves Disneyland, which I love, too. So it's funny because I was excited to talk to Joshua. But frankly, he's the youngest guest I've ever talked to. And I haven't been doing a talk show that long. So I just had no idea how it was going to go with a guest this young. But I just I really enjoyed talking to him, really got along well with him. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Don't forget perfectfitmusical.com. Go buy tickets. Go check out that live stream this Sunday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, here it is, my interview with Joshua Turchin. Uh, I I definitely want to dive into sort of all the projects that you've been working on during this quarantine, but I want to start by just sort of asking a a general question, and that's how this quarantine period has been for you these last, you know, seven, eight months, whatever it's been now at this point. So, yeah, the quarantine has been going pretty well for me. I mean, I've been just trying to keep myself busy, and I've been writing more songs for my musical, The Perfect Fit, Uh which will actually be having a concert. And I'm actually doing this thing called the Early Night Show Virtual Edition, Corona Cabaret. And it's something I started when quarantine, like, first started. And I bring on different Broadway guests, and I interview them, and then I accompany them. And it's really, really fun, and it's all around amazing to be able to work with these people. Yeah, so this show, The Early Night Show, it started as an in-person thing, right? And then you kind of had to make the shift over to virtual because of coronavirus, is that right? Yeah, so it started in, I would say, 2018, and then I did a couple of shows in 2019 as well. Uh And then we were going to do another one earlier this year. And then the magic of 
coronavirus happened right. and Broadway and theater and everything shut down. So I thought, how could I give opportunities to people who are no longer able to work? And how do I keep the art of live performance alive? Right. And I came up with the early night show and I, it's, it's been really, really amazing. Yeah. How many have you done? Like I, I saw a couple of seasons worth just over the last couple of months here, right? I've done over 70 episodes so far, wow. which is kind of crazy to think that coronavirus has been going on for this long. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's wild, too, because I see, like, you know, you, you play piano a lot, a lot of times with your guests and they sing along with you. I'm curious just sort of how that works, because that, like, I know anytime I try to, you know, even just do, like, singing Happy Birthday or something over a Zoom call, like there's just lag issues and stuff that make the timing really weird. Like how do you work that out while you're able to play piano at your house and have your guests sing at their house? I guess all I can really say is through the magic of theater. I <laughs> okay. You're not giving away the secret, huh? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so prior to the shutdown, you were in rehearsals for Trevor the Musical. Is that right? Yeah. What was it like when you sort of realized that you know, things were, were turning bad and, you know, you guys were going to have to shut down for a little bit. Do you remember sort of, what was it like? So like things were getting like starting to get really, really bad here in New York. And we were, we were the last, I believe the last show to shut down. Uh So of course, what kind of happened was we were in rehearsal. We had just finished staging the entire act two. So we were going to do like a run through of the entire show, which we were really excited to do. And then what ended up happening was we were seeing all these articles. We're like, are we going to be shutting down or what are we going to be doing? And we come back and the director says, hi, unfortunately, we're going to need to shut down production for a little while just because COVID. And we would be back and and we'll we'll just be back in two weeks. Obviously, we weren't back in two weeks. Right. Back when we thought that COVID was just going to be like less than a month. And then it just it continued on and on, and, and here we are. What was that feeling like, you know, sort of going home and waiting for those, you know, those two weeks that turned into, you know, a month and then two months? Like, at what point did you sort of realize this probably isn't going to happen? Well, I think me, my family and I, we all realized that this is not going to go, go away as quickly as they thought. Yeah. So what, what happened, because I grew up in Florida and we still have a house there. So we went back to Florida like almost like two days after they said that we're going to be shutting down. We, we realized really quickly that Broadway wasn't going to be coming back for a while. So that's why I tried to adapt as quickly as possible to this virtual world and just continue making art on it. Yeah, for sure. And and you've been able to keep that going this whole time, which is awesome. I want to ask you about the perfect fit, because uh, I, I know there's a lot that sort of plays into the moment that we're in right now in terms of, you know, recording an album virtually. And uh, you sort of mentioned this live stream concert, which I definitely want to get to in a little bit. But back me up first to sort of, you know, this idea that you were I mean, this this started at like 10 years old, right? Like you, you had this idea for writing your own show. And you've been writing and composing music now for the last couple of years for it. Well, I've actually really always had a love for writing and composing. I re- it really like sort of clicked that this is what I really want to do when I was 10 years old. Uh-huh. And I started writing like different like side project shows. And then when I was around 11 years old, I came up with this like idea 
I've, I've learned to like what you know. And the thing I know best is theater. So I took a lot of influence from my life for The Perfect Fit. However, it is a completely fictional thing. I finished it when I was 12. And um, I submitted it. It was a blind submission to a theater festival run by a Tony Award winner. And it got accepted like a hundred or like a thousand submissions to the festival. And I was one of 20 in them to be selected, which was so cool. When we got to perform it last year, it was definitely like really helpful. And it helped me to develop the show further. And then, yeah, um, you were talking about like the virtual album. With the album, it was recorded entirely in quarantine. Each musician and um, singer, we were all in our own houses. It, it was just such a cool experience to record it in quarantine because The Perfect Fit was one of the first shows to do so with all these like quarantine things. And it, it was just really such an incredible thing yeah. to be able to listen to it online and hear all these amazing people sing. It's funny because when I think of something recorded in quarantine, my mind goes to like an acoustic guitar and one person. And this is like when you listen to the album, it's a fully orchestrated and, you know, harmonized and like it it doesn't sound like something that was recorded in, you know, 10 different locations. You know, when you're singing and you're used to being interacting with the other singers or the other musicians, like what were the challenges, I guess, of, of trying to make this record without having people able to collaborate directly with you in the same space? Well, I guess one of the biggest challenges had to be, well, it literally exactly what you said, because we were all separate and we were wondering, so we're going to do this. How? Yeah. And uh, then we sort of figured it out through the magic of editing and theater. But yeah, we each individually recorded and that's pretty much all we did, though. It was really hard because I had a bunch of new people sing my stuff, too. So yeah. it was a lot of fun over Zoom calls and, like, messaging them all, like, what to sing. But yeah, those are really, like, the biggest challenges. Yeah, no, that that, that sounds <laughs> that sounds very difficult. I, I could imagine, too, just, like, you know, having to harmonize and stuff. Like, everyone's sort of singing their own part in their own space. And as you say, you're putting it together with editing. Like you're not able to sort of hear what the other people are doing, I'm guessing, right? Right. So um, we actually had one of the, um, I think he worked on the album of Beautiful, uh-huh. the musical, and he took all the stuff, he mixed and mastered it. He is like literally in, like an editing genius. Right. Like he, he, he was just really amazing. And to listen to the final product, oh my gosh, it was such a surreal experience yeah no it it, it doesn't sound at all like, like people singing in their homes it really sounds like it was done in a recording studio that must have been thrilling for you too as you say just to hear the final product of all that because i'm sure you know during the the weeks that you're working on it you must have been nervous about sort of how it was going to come out definitely because I, I i'm in addition to like playing piano on the album i had to also like record all my stuff and so what my family and I kind of did, we made a homemade recording studio uh-huh. uh, using a bunch of cardboard and foam. Oh, cool. So that, that definitely helped with it, I think, because uh, it just gave a more like professional sounding to it. Yeah. I, I want to back up, too, on The Perfect Fit and just sort of understand, you know, can you sort of talk me through what the story of it is about? 
the perfect fit. It's about the lives and loves of really showbiz pre-adolescents. Uh-huh. It's about the, it's about all of these people and the ups and downs and all arounds in their life, trying to overcome um, vindictive stage parents, uplifting dance classes, and all around just really trying to find where they fit in in the world. Yeah. And and as I understand it, it was sort of this idea that there are sort of stage children that get cast for children's roles, and that's a very specific thing. But then there's this strange period, like during teenage years, where those those child actors are too young to play adults at that point, but they're not really needed for the children's roles. And it sounds like there aren't a lot of, of roles for kind of, you know, adolescents and teenagers in a lot of theater. Is that right? It's the period of time when you're like too young to play an adult, but too old to play a child. It's right. called the dead zone. Okay. I came to New York when I was eight years old. And ever since I was like 10, they're, they're like, you're too tall. Your voice is going to change. It's sort of this like lingering thing of everyone telling you what's going to happen to you mm. and you being stuck in this this place where you're not able to get any work you look too mature for one part and it's really weird but um that, that's really what it's about with this yeah no that that's awesome uh, you know i i think what i really admire about your story too is that you sort of you were experiencing this in your own life and looking around and seeing a lot of your friends were in the same spot. And instead of, you know, I think I think a lot of kids maybe would have thrown in the towel at that point and said, you know what, maybe acting's not for me or, you know, they would have right. moped around about it. And you just sort of carved your own path and said, you know what, <laughs> there aren't roles for people my age. I'm going to write a role. I'm going to make a whole show around that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, the show, I originally wrote it to give more opportunities in theater to everyone. Uh-huh. And over time, it, it sort of just evolved beyond that as well. I, it's still, I, I originally wrote it for that, but now it's really my love letter to Broadway. Uh-huh. Well, and there is a song that really stood out to me, speaking of, you know, loving Broadway, and that was Tony's or My Super Bowl. It was something that sort of struck me because I, I wasn't quite a theater kid, but definitely was more artsy and stuff. And, you know, I expressed myself more through video. But I, I know the feeling of not being good at sports and sort of not being seen as, as being a stereotypical boy because of that. And, you know, you wrote that in that song. I'm wondering sort of how much of that was your own experience growing up. And, like, talk to me, I guess, about the origins of, of that song, Tony's Are My Super Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, a, a lot of it was, or at least some of it, was based on my experiences, especially the beginning lines. I was six back then I played soccer. And my parents and I learned very quickly I hate soccer. <laughs> yep. It was, like, the most miserable experience of my life doing soccer. It was very bad. I did not like it. And yeah, one time I actually did score a goal for the other team. And I remember this like vividly. One time, it was like one of my last games, someone from the other team fell and they got up and then they scored. I I helped them up and then they scored for the other team. So like, eh. I definitely can relate to that. And there was a lot of, of truth in that song for me. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story from, from my life. When I was uh, about seven or eight years old, I had played baseball for two or three years. And my parents could tell my heart wasn't in it. But, you know, I, I stuck with it and, and tried to do my best with it. And they sat me down one day and said, 
what is it that you like about baseball? Like, do you, do you want to keep playing it? What do you like? And I said, well, I like the uniforms and I like going to the concession stand at the end of the game. And they're like, you don't like hitting? You don't like throwing the ball? I'm like, yeah, not really. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and and thankfully, they let me give it up at that point. But uh, I, I definitely can relate to, to what you're talking about there. One of the other songs that struck me was the song Stuck in Your Shadow, which is sort of about uh, being the sibling of a really talented kid and just sort of struggling for, for that sibling to find their own voice and, you know, appreciation and attention and all of that. I wonder sort of if, if any of that came from your experience. Like, do you do you have siblings? And, you know, was it was it written with your siblings in mind? Or, you know, what was the inspiration behind that song? So, I, yeah, I do have a younger sister. Uh-huh. And she definitely helped with the inspiration for the song. She likes to claim it's her song, which I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. But going back a little bit, before I wrote the song, I had just, like, finished the run at the theater festival, and I wanted to expand on one character's plot. And I wrote songs. I kept writing songs, different drafts of songs, like the first minute or so. And um, one of them, the chorus mel- melody, actually, um, I reused it for Tony's Are My Super Bowl. Because uh-huh. um, I didn't feel it felt, it, it really didn't fit the character who I thought it would. I felt that of uh, the person who sings Super Bowl more. But then I came up with this, this thing that's like da 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 I, I, I like had it stuck in my head and I tried writing a couple of songs with it and I'm like I really like this. Yeah. My sister's like, you need another song for this character and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, I know what to do. <laughs> yeah. The verse melody definitely came from well, it came from another song, like a song I wrote like just for fun. Uh huh. And then I'm like, I like this for this character. I'm going to reuse that. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because I'm not a composer at all and not very musically inclined, but just sort of hearing you describe that process. Like, I wonder for you, when you're you're writing a song, how much is driven by the music? Do you just have a melody in your head the way you just described it? Or do you sometimes start with lyrics and then put music to it? Like, what's, what's sort of your typical songwriting process? It honestly really depends. Usually I do music first, then lyrics. One of Sondheim's three rules, I have them on a, um, uh, like right above where I write my stuff. One of them is content dictates form. Uh-huh. What that really means is like, if you have a happy song, you're not going to make it sound like... <laughs> you're not going to make it sound like it's like a death sentence. Right. If you have like a sad song, you're not going to make it sound like like oh i'm so sad like upbeat that's one of the biggest things when i'm writing because if i'm writing a song for a character in a specific moment that doesn't fit it it's going to seem out of place right sometimes i come up with some lyrics i have in my head but usually it's either melody or piano first Mm, that's so interesting I wonder too, just sort of like thinking about all of this, I guess, because you're 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 just so talented between you know playing music, writing music, acting, uh, singing. What was it that first, like, wh- what was your entry <laughs> into all this? When did you first get the bug, and sort of what led to the next thing? I guess was it was it music first? Was it acting first? What led you to the path that you're on right now? So originally, it was piano first. 
I've played piano since I could first reach the keys. And then my piano teacher said, hey, he has a really good ear. Um, maybe he should try singing. Hmm. And then I did singing, and then that went to acting and then dancing. Really, I've always had a love for musical theater and for composing especially, and that side of theater as well, and also performing. So it really came from just that love for Broadway. Yeah. How do you, like, for me, I, I grew up in Ohio, so I just, you know, we had touring companies and stuff come through, and I remember seeing them, you know, maybe by, like, mid-elementary school, maybe, like, third, fourth grade, but it wasn't, like, a part of my life necessarily, and I feel like for people outside New York, it's really hard to get that kind of exposure to Broadway. Like, what was it, do you remember sort of early shows that you saw, or, like, you know, what was it, I guess, that, that drew you in initially? Well, the first show that I've ever, that I really ever saw was Grease. Uh-huh. Um, that I was two years and 10 months, like almost exactly, because uh-huh. uh, my sister had literally just been born, like a few days before. Wow. And so my mom's like, okay, because um, uh, my, my sister had to stay in the hospital. So she left for two and a half hours, <laughs> or like two hours, and she took me to quickly see the show and then ran back to the hospital. Wow. Because we weren't, like, they weren't expecting my sister um, to come that, that early. Right. That was, like, my first show. And then after that, I just kept seeing more shows at, um, I, I lived near the Broward Center in Florida. Uh-huh. And so that's, to, like, that, that was literally my Broadway income. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and, I, yeah, I, that's really how I just saw shows. Yeah. Was it something your parents sort of had a love for and, and turned you on to? Or was it just because of your interest in music and stuff that they said, you know what, we, we've got to start taking Joshua to, to see some shows? Well, they they also have like a love for musical theater, too. Uh-huh. It, it came from that. My dad used to play like piano all like all around me when I was growing up. Gotcha. And that's partially where my love for like piano comes from and all these all the instruments I play. Yeah. And, yeah. That's so cool. Thinking about sort of, you know, going from watching Greece at, you know, just under three years old to, you know, now what you're doing where you're composing and stuff. Like, what was that moment, I guess, where you went from being a spectator sitting in the audience and saying, this is cool, to saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to be up on that stage or I want to be writing the music or like, yeah, what what was that like for you? There was never really like a switch. Uh-huh. I pretty much I've always really wanted to perform and be on Broadway. Like I remember when I was like five years old, I was watching the Tony Awards and I'm like, this is what I want to do. Wow. For your parents, like, was it something that they fostered or was it something that they resisted at first? Like when you're as a five-year-old saying, this is the thing for me, because I feel like at your age, you need parental buy-in, you know, like they're, they're, they've got to take you to rehearsals and classes and shows and, you know, all of it. Like, were, were they always on board 100% or was there ever a moment where they were like, you know, I, I guess we have to do this because this is what he loves so much? They, they've always like, they, they, my parents say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. And they they found out from very early that this is what I love to do. So they're like, okay, I yeah. guess we're doing this. Well, that was really what happened when I was eight years old. We had just come up to New York for three weeks on vacation uh, on summer break. And we never left. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had just gotten an agent and 
that's when I found out I was going to be in a Christmas story on tour. Uh-huh. And that was my first like major professional job. And when we found out that, they're like, okay, I guess we're actually going to be staying here and doing this. Yeah. Um, and we, we hadn't left. That's awesome. And it's great, too, that they're on board with all this and just, you know, willing to, to go along for the ride. That's, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of parents might resist that and just say, you know what, maybe it's a phase or, you know, when he's older, he can do it. But like, to for it sounds like you're so sure of it, too, which is is an awesome place to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, too, about the Christmas Story Tour and just you got to see a lot of America at a very young age. And I wonder what that has done to just your perspective on, you know, the the size of this country or, you know, the similarities or differences of different places. Like, th- that's such a privilege, I guess, to be able to tour at such a young age and, and see so much of the country. As you think back on that time, now it's been a couple of years since you did that. What do you remember from that from that period? Well, growing up in Florida, there was no such thing as snow. Oh, right. So being on tour, that was my first time ever seeing snow. That was like one of the major differences uh-huh. that I found. Because I had never seen snow in my life. And it was the most beautiful thing seeing just like tiny stacks of snow on right. the grass. Do you remember where you were the first time you saw it? Oh, I don't. I, I remember I was on the bus. Okay. The, like tour bus. It was somewhere cold, though. It was, it was somewhere, like, medium cold. Yeah. Every place just was, like, very, I, I don't know how to describe it. Each place was so, like, distinct and, like, unique. Yeah. It, it gives you a bigger sense of the world, I feel like, right? Just just realizing that there's, there's so much out there beyond just, you know, <laughs> your house and your family. No, yeah, definitely. And especially, like, before tour, I had never really been any other place other than, like, Florida and New York and um, New Jersey and exploring the rest of the United States. It was definitely a real weird experience. Every theater was different. And that was one of the biggest takeaways because there's like a backstage crossover if you want to get to the other side. I remember, I, I don't remember what place, but it was completely blocked off. So we had to go down like like a bunch of like super steep stairs and then go back up super steep stairs. Yeah. It was so hard. <laughs> it's definitely little... a workout. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it is funny. You, you get used to that show and you've rehearsed it a certain way and the little changes that I'm sure it keeps you on your toes as you're moving city to city, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's so cool. So I wonder too, just like you're, you're just so busy all the time and you've got so much going on. Like, do you, do you have time for sort of normal kid things that like, like your school and stuff? Do you, do you go to like a normal in-person school or do you have to sort of do like, you know, uh, homeschool or tutoring or something like that? Well, I've been in online school for the past, I would say almost six years now. Oh, wow. So I was like way ahead of the, way ahead of the <laughs> quarantine um, right. virtual days. And now I'm in George Washington University's online high school. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm supposed to be in like eighth grade, I think. But I'm like, I got really ahead on tour because they made us work nonstop. Right. And now I'm a sophomore taking junior classes. Wow. And how old are you? I'm, I just turned 14. Wow. So you'll you'll be graduating pretty early then, too. I guess. <laughs> I think. I hope. Um, I do sometimes have time for normal kids stuff like school but because i'm in virtual 
school, I'm able to work on my own pace. Uh-huh. So that makes things handling jobs and other things much more. It's, it, it makes things much better because I'm able to, um, if I have a job coming up, I'm able to work ahead. So that way I don't need to do any school that day, which right. helps so much, especially with the upcoming Perfect Fit concert. Uh, we actually just had a band rehearsal and Oh my gosh, I can't wait for everyone to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So so talk to me about that. This is going to be a live stream of the Perfect Fit soundtrack. It's not it's not the full show, right? You're not there, there's not dialogue and stuff. It's it's the music from the show, is that right? Right. It's the music from the show. We're actually performing it at New World Stages. Uh-huh. Uh which is going to be really cool. You're able to buy tickets online, go to perfectfitmusical.com/tickets for more information. Um, it's going to be November 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's going to be a lot of fun. For those listening, I, I really hope that you're able to come. It's going to be such an amazing experience, at least for me and my friends, because, well, it's going to be the first time we've ever really performed in New York since the quarantine started. Yeah. And it's it's strange because so much of Broadway is is shut down now, and I mean that that shutdown is it's they're saying like next spring now, right? It's at one time it was like December or January, but I think it's been extended now, right? Right. I think now it's gone up to like June. Wow. Which is crazy, like going this long without Broadway. Yeah. Well, and that was something I guess too that we were talking before about sort of you just writing your own part when you know there wasn't one that you could easily be cast in at your age and i feel the same way about what you're doing with this this live stream that like the the theaters are all shut down people can't be there in person and it feels like a lot of shows haven't quite figured out how to navigate that yet and you're just kind of like all right well we'll sell tickets online and people can watch it from home and you know (laughs) we'll make it as safe as possible like it's just it feels like another sort of innovative thing that you're looking at in this time. And, you know, do you do you feel like more shows might end up going that route or there might be other things like this on offer later in the year, perhaps? Yeah, I think definitely as shows begin to open more, there's a chance that it could go virtual because if it goes virtual, more people are able to watch and stay safe in the comfort of their own homes. Yeah. What are you guys doing as far as safety for, for the live stream? Like, is it, you know, there's obviously got to be a crew there beyond the cast. Like, everyone's got to be masked up and all, I assume? We're all quarantining right now. Oh, okay. In preparation, we're all getting COVID tests as well. We have very, very, very strict uh, COVID protocols and um, COVID guidelines. So that way, um, we don't risk anyone getting sick. We're going to make sure that we're all really healthy, all masked and make sure that we're not spreading the virus. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing sort of the hoops we have to jump through right now. But it, it's a reminder, too. I'm sure you feel this way sort of as you're rehearsing it and stuff. And, um, you know, once the live stream happens, too, that art and music and, you know, live theater, it's just it's so vital. And you don't realize it until it's not there. Just like it really is an important part of sort of our, our essence as humans, right? Right. It's definitely... I I don't know. It's just been very, very hard without Broadway. Like, seeing the city that never sleeps go to sleep is just, like, horrifying. Yeah, I'm sure. But it's necessary. Like, all these guidelines and quarantining, they're all very necessary 
in order to make sure that everyone stays safe. No, I agree. And and the more that we follow it, hopefully the sooner things can go back to normal. You know, it's it's sort of skirting around the rules or, you know, outright breaking the rules that sort of reset the clock for all of us, it seems. Um, I, I have just a couple more quick questions for you. I had wanted to ask you about uh, you were in uh, The Little Mermaid live at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, I think that was last year, right? Was that in 2019? It was. Yeah, that that sounds like such a cool show. And I, I got to see a couple little clips from it. Um, I want to ask, too, just, you know, obviously Alan Menken did the music for that show. And I've heard people compare you to him just, you know, with the composing and singing and all that. Um, and he, he performed that night at the Hollywood Bowl. Did you get a chance to, to meet him or interact with him at all? I did. Um, Alan Menken is someone who I really look up to in the world of composing. Yeah, I've been listening to his music ever since I was like super, super young. I grew up with his music. And getting to meet him in person was incredible. Yeah. He's so sweet. And he was actually one of the first people to know my musical was going to be at an off-Broadway theater festival. Because uh, apparently someone told him. Oh, that's awesome. Did uh, did he have any sort of advice for you or, you know, any any words of wisdom when you met him? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> just You were just starstruck, I'm sure, just to meet him. Yeah, because I, I, growing up with his music and like all of that, just being able to like share the stage with him and perform with him was absolutely amazing. Yeah, and that's such a cool venue too. Just to you know to be out in the open air like that. What was that experience like to to play the Hollywood Bowl? It was huge. The the crowd was literally huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's like looking back, being able to perform there is such a dream come true. Because um, I, I actually, like, really loved L.A. And I, I loved California and L.A. And um, I love Disney. Yeah. So it just, I love so um After Hollywood Bowl, I actually went to Disneyland. It's one of my favorite places, especially because, because I grew up in Florida and I didn't really go anywhere else. I would constantly watch videos of Disneyland. Uh-huh. You went to Walt Disney World growing up, just not Disneyland? Yeah. Yeah. And it was always my dream to go to Disneyland. Right, of course. That, I mean, if people like say that Disney World's better because it's bigger, but to me, Disneyland is better because it's the original. It has more like magic. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I I totally agree with you. And I also there's it it's just a denser park. Like between the two parks, there's more to do in those two parks than there are in all four of the ones in Florida. So. You know, you and you and you can accomplish it a lot more efficiently. You know, there's not having to hop on the bus, and, you know, park hop and all that. It's like right, right. you just walk and right across the like street. Right across from each other. Yeah, exactly. Right. And apparently, Disneyland Park has more rides than Magic Kingdom. No, it, it definitely does. I mean, like just the little Fantasyland there area. You know, there's like all these rides that in Florida, you're like, wait, what? They're Pinocchio? I've never heard of Pinocchio <laughs> or Alice in Wonderland. What is this? There, there's, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, do you have a favorite ride at either of either in Florida or California? I have to say it's a small world. Mm, great choice. I, I guess because, yeah, I, I grew up listening to and watching the, it's a small world in Disneyland. Uh-huh. So that's one of the reasons why I love it so much because, I've always wanted to go on the ride because it's so much longer. Right. And then when I was able to go on it for the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. <laughs> That's so cool. 
I want to ask too, as a Disney fan and a Broadway fan, if there was a Disney movie that they haven't yet adapted for stage, like what would your top choice be that you'd want to see them adapt next? Oh, I don't know. I have to say either The Princess and the Frog, because that would be an amazing, an amazing musical. Yep. I also have to say Moana. Mm, yeah. I, I feel like that's like, like using like, different uh projection mapping effect could be like really really cool yeah figuring out how to do something that looks like water on a stage would be very cool Mm -hmm. uh and then sort of on the same subject um of the of the disney movies that have been adapted to broadway do you have a favorite broadway show oh i don't know i i guess aladdin i have to say aladdin okay i I really love like because there's it's so like it's the same yet also very different yeah from the movie. I, I didn't get a chance to see it. I wish I had, but uh, maybe it'll open back up when everything comes back. I, I want to ask you one last question, and that's sort of looking ahead. Uh, you know, I've been sort of blown away just as we've been talking and, you know, in, in looking you up prior to this conversation with just all the talent you have. And, you know, it feels like you got a bright future ahead of you. I heard you say in an interview that you're hope is to go to college for engineering, which sort of surprised me because I mm-hmm. imagine that you were on kind of a showbiz track. I, I just wonder sort of if, if that still holds true or, you know, thinking ahead, you know, 10 years or so when you're, you know, 24, 25 years old, like, what do you imagine your life might look like? Or what do you, what do you want it to look like? Well, I, I just really want to keep performing and composing. One of the reasons I want to be an engineer is because I just find like, all like engineering just very very interesting my mom's actually a biomedical engineer oh cool she works a lot on uh, prosthetics and it's really interesting what she does and the reason I don't really want to go to college for performing or musical theater is because I feel like everything that they're teaching I'm learning from experience being in these different shows yeah would you imagine a career path, some way that you could do both at some point, like be an engineer by day and then, you know, go perform at night? Possibly. I, I do really want to be an engineer. I do want, really want to study that. Um, but always, uh, my heart will always be to theater. Yeah. Well, I feel like no matter what, you're, what you want to do, you're going to be successful at it. And just, you know, in looking at what you've done already, it feels like if if there's not a clear path to success in there, you're going to figure out how to cut your own path and define it for yourself, which, again, I really admire, and I think that's awesome. So I'm excited to see, you know, where you go from here. Oh, thank you. All right, Joshua Turchin there. How cool was he, huh? Wow. I just, I left that interview feeling so inspired. And it's great to feel that from somebody as young as him, who's already as experienced as he is. You know, I've been doing this show now for about six months, and it was a way for me to keep busy during COVID and just, you know, keep creative, keep making things, but figure out a way to do it safely from home. And I've been unsure, frankly, if this is the right path or not, if I should keep doing this show, if this will ever be a career for me. And Joshua really inspired me that if there's not an easy path forward, you can just make your own path. You can just keep going. And I think that will really stick with me, and I hope it sticks with you too. I hope you got something out of this interview. It's a lot of fun. Don't forget... 
perfectfitmusical.com, perfectfitmusical.com to go watch the live stream of Joshua's show that he composed. He's performing in, he's playing music in. It's going to be on Sunday, November 15th at 7 Eastern. Go buy tickets at that website. And if you haven't yet, check out my website as well. Go there to sign up for the weekly newsletter. You'll get that every Sunday. And it's just a fun way to start your week. Helps recap shows if you miss them. HeathRosella.com. There's a link right there on the homepage. So Joshua was an awesome guest. I've got another awesome one coming up on Thursday. I'm not going to tell you too much about her yet, but another really inspiring young woman and a teenager like Joshua. So cool kids week, I guess, this week on Quarantine Creatives or something like that. We'll come up with better branding later. But (laughs) I have new shows every Monday and Thursday. So please hit that subscribe button. Come on back. I love talking to you guys. And I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram, heathrosella.com to sign up for the newsletter. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Stay safe.